You are listening to Be Simply. This is Suzanne Toro, a.k.a. She. You can anticipate being inspired, discovering some inner and outer wisdom and inspiration. Without further ado, let's dive into Be Simply. So here we are on Be Simply with Joaquin Flores. Is that right? Yep, yep, Flores. I I wanted to say Flores, but Flores. And today we're going to dive into a little bit of apocalyptic love, which sounds like a great novel. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Joaquin, I really appreciate you on all fronts, on all facets of yourself. I've been studying uh, some of your great work. And today, um, I'm excited to dive into this aspect about love, faith. Uh, you've been putting out some very interesting content lately on your uh, Instagram channel that we will shout out here uh, with relationships. One thing I'd love to know is what inspired you to, it kind of reminded me of the Peanuts, Lucy, where she sits out her cup for a quarter. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I love that you like to connect with people in person and see their face. Uh, you're a very good listener and seem to be very mindful of yourself and others. You know, I just um, like to hear people to understand them. And I feel that the more that I'm hearing a person, the more I'm actually learning about myself. So it goes both ways. And then when I have something to say, I feel like I'm giving myself advice. It's like, well, <laughs> no, so. Very good. Uh, so you've had quite the journey. You used to be uh, in the City of Angels, and right now, do you like to share where you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, there's no problem. I'm, uh, I'm in Belgrade, Yeah. and uh, I've been here about 10 years, and okay. um, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. And we're witnessing a beautiful temple or church you shared uh, earlier uh, behind you. Would you mind sharing the significance for you? Yeah, it's, um, it is a church. It's called the Sava Temple. And um, this is the, uh, the basement. So I believe there's probably some remains in here, uh, like a tomb, but it's also very illuminated and it has much lower ceilings. They're high ceilings, but they're much lower ceilings than you would find upstairs, which is uh, very big. And this is the, um, the largest Orthodox temple um i guess this side of well it's the largest orthodox temple i think operating right now but you know um the hagia sophia is significantly larger but it's a museum and it's not operating as a church i think there's a few other orthodox structures that might be larger outside of the um this side of the uh the bosphorus or the uh marmara strait there but um but yeah, it's fairly large. Um, this is just a, this is like looking at half of part of the, of the basement. <laughs> if it gives you any idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Uh, some of the places that have been built and, and, and then you use the word, uh, Sophia or Sophia. Uh, yeah. and, uh, would that be synonymous for, uh, someone that most people don't know from, uh, the Bible? 
Yeah, it would be the, uh, you know, apocryphal Sophia. It would be wisdom, the, the mother of Yahweh, the mother of, uh, the grandmother of Jesus, if you will, uh, in the spiritual or, you know, eternal sense, not the, not the, uh, physical mother, father, um, but the otherworldly, in other words, the mother of God. So when you say that like Mary is the mother of God, Sophia, you can say that Mary is like an avatar of Sophia. If, if, if Jesus is an avatar of God, then Sophia is the avatar of Mary. And it's weird because even though this is steeped like in the Gnostic and early Christian traditions, this concept that Sophia is eternal wisdom, and it also is a woman's name, is still in Christianity, even though the history of that name seems a little bit erased or something, you yeah. know, the, um, <laughs> but there was a good three, four, five, six, seven centuries where, you know, maybe half of Christian believers were into that version or that, you know, that legend, that tale or that myth or that reality, if you will. And um, so it's, uh, you know, I like it. Nice. <laughs> a little shine a light on the cosmic mother. <laughs> yes, very important. <laughs> yeah. So for you, um, as you've dove into the subject of love, um, I've noticed you've intertwined faith, the power of prayer, and demonic entities. Again, a yeah. novel. Um, something that, you know, is accounted for in Eastern traditions and, and in Western or, I don't know, I don't, I guess that's really global traditions, we'll call them, um, is the idea of entities or spirits. You know, in Chinese medicine, they account for 13 ghost points uh, that where ghosts and entities can enter the body. And, you know, when I assist people in their last rites, you know, we seal off so nothing goes with them. Um, but in this modern day and age, uh, that's kind of considered taboo to talk about these things, yet it's accounted for in every theological belief system I've studied and uh, scientific system I've studied, it's somewhat count accounted for, not maybe in Western medicine. Um, mm -hmm. For you, uh, how important do you feel it's important, how important do you feel it's for us to protect ourselves right now? Because we really are uh, kind of at this crescendo of right a, a, a period an epoch on planet earth that is quite apocalyptic whether people realize it or not um how would you recommend or how do you relate to any of what i just said <laughs> that i relate to all of it Look, yeah no I, I love everything you just said it's i think what the theme that i'm working on is uh love in the apocalypse and what i like about the eminence and presentness of the apocalypse is that it grounds you in the now and it forces you to make the kinds of decisions about love life faith that you probably needed to have made all along maybe now you have a better reason to do it sort of like if you had 30 days to live what would you do with your life you know <laughs> and then you have this bucket list and you're like oh god to tick all these off so i think people in in the search for authenticity um i look a lot at this question of Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, we had this period when the 50s gave way to the 60s, when there was 
an American middle class and there was a middle class in you know, some parts of the world, what we consider a middle class. And it allowed a sort of freedom and creativity that might have helped to break out of certain limiting models. But at the same time, those limiting models, a lot of them were inherited from the Great Depression and were necessary at that time. I don't believe that we're in exactly a cycle, but that we are sort of in a spiral where it echoes. And in many ways, this is more like the Great Depression, uh, but at the same time, taking a lot of these lessons from the 60s and again from the 90s, that sort of when the 90s kind of echoed the 60s, maybe a lot of people will remember that. And, you know, I, um, but one of the problems, because there's always criticism, we can like, when we do our soul searching and our, you know, our shadow work, you look at the 60s and there was an optimism and a, and even though there was a sense of community and improving the world, it was from somewhat of a perspective of privilege. And it's a privilege that no longer exists. And now we're kind of in that reality realness of the 30s and the Great Depression. And I think that that means that we have to look at the kind of, not desperation, but, <laughs> but, the, but a sort of spirituality and faith based in the rawness of the moment. Whereas in the 60s, it might've been elective and um and so if in the 60s it was at the pinnacle of maslow's hierarchy of needs um now it's like we need this centeredness and the spirituality to accomplish food and housing so we're at the very base level of this and people are becoming semi-nomadic again uh employment is temporary um People are in debt. It, it looks a lot like indentured servitude in the uh, 17th and early 18th century. And these are the facts of life. Uh, and one of the things I think it's so important, I really do believe in the, the power of positive thinking, but I also know that I also know that it has limits that, um, you know, there we can't ignore the evil in the world. It's not just like la 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 running through a field whatever i want to eminentize i will whatever i want to you know bring into my life i'll bring into it by thinking about it like that goes a long way a lot a lot farther than most people realize and they should be doing that but then you hit a wall and that wall is the reality of a great evil that is in the world and they have their plans and designs and love in the apocalypse is about the authenticity of the confrontation of life in that reality and it, it gets out of some of the thinking that had put a generation of people men and women um, that thought they were becoming increasingly liberated uh, and in fact wound up more alienated and in fact many of them wound up caught up in consumer culture corporate culture um, a different type of keeping up with the Joneses that we saw like in the 1950s, except it was rebranded, you know, it's like Starbucks and yoga and uh, kale, kale yeah. shakes and stuff. And, <laughs> and, um, and it, it, there's a lot of the vapidness in that too. So we're living in a new age of militancy and rawness. And I, I guess in 10 seconds, I would say 
that while there is a lot to be learned from the um, androgyny concept and you know the animus and anima in the union framework and being in touch with your uh, feminine ideal as a man and being in touch with your masculine ideal as a woman that um, still we need this this thing this gender thing in our lives and we need to celebrate our gender and there's always room for outliers. There's always room for people who don't fit the mold. They're all welcome to speak at the table, to eat at the table, to love at the table. But um, society that's made up of a 97% should look like that 97%, 97% of the time. And I think we lost that. And it's been by design to alienate 97% of people, maybe everyone. Right. So. It's, it's hard to say that because, you know, you can't, it's, um, it's considered politically incorrect, but I, 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 it comes from such a place of love that I, and, 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 you know, and reason and baseness that I don't know how else to say. Yeah. Well, well said, you know, um, from the eternal dance that we have, you know, as eternal beings versus just temporal beings, as I, as I relate to the soul, uh, you know, we are in a very confusing time because the veil, so to speak, is very thin. Uh, and I think with the past decade of technology and the power of, you know, the just mind control in general uh, is pretty intense because before you just would have, if you put your, you know, went to your local psychologist or psychiatrist, you would just be talking about your mommy and daddy issues and dad did this or my spouse did this or that but now the influence is beyond the nucleus of a family it's the influence is, is the whole entire world which is a lot you know depending how much you're taking in um, and then the programmed ideas which used to come from print not uh, this device that we're using right now uh, which is pretty powerful but could uh, I think has probably led a lot of people astray so as you uh, weave your way in this moment, in the most immediate now, uh, for you as you're uh, guiding others and uh, maybe guiding yourself simultaneously, where do you see that we need to create the maybe the most inner work uh, as a society? You know, it's, um, I would say that political culture is generally it's it's imitating a lot of the stuff you see in sports teams rivalries and uh it really shouldn't be that way and i i've noticed that people are quick to look at what the other team is doing and point out all the fouls and um but they don't like to get real about their own team right and uh american politics in particular is uh is unique because it's a two-party set up and so they're like big tent parties and in other countries you have multi-party parliamentary systems right. so what's weird about the united states when you talk about what the you know the work that people have to do individually to be a better collective it's that self-reflection where you're like you know i what are all the things that i'm doing you know most of the things that people don't like in other people 
are things that they're struggling with themselves. They might have overcome those things, but at great at great discipline, sort of like non-smokers and smokers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and、uh, they might have over. They might, you know, the idea that this is something that they're struggling with and failing is not necessarily accurate.、Uh, maybe they are. That happens a lot.、Mm-hmm. But it's something that they've overcome, and or or that they're trying to overcome. Whether they're cognizant of it or not, and that's the key thing: is they're not even aware of it so much of the time,、mm-hmm. uh, or uh, that internal. And I say this in the most neutral sense of the, the word possible, but that internal self-policing or that internal repression,、uh, they're projecting on onto others. And we all have a certain amount of、uh, repression.、Um, you're in traffic. I could kill that guy, you know, but you don't. But you repress that urge, you know, and and. Now you're not a murderer, okay? So you know we have to be real about these things. We're all having these thoughts at times. So、um, that's the work that has to be done. Really, is is that、uh, higher self versus lower self, and stop to stop projecting the lower self onto others because projecting your lower self onto others is something that the lower self does, and.、Um, You know, it's it's people have to recognize the divine within them, in others, and see themselves in others. Like what they say, Namaste. You have to, you know, see. You have to recognize and salute that that divinity in the other person. Everyone is going through similar struggles. They're speaking a different political language. You might have someone who's French and someone who's Greek, and they're using completely different languages and liberal and conservative language. Can actually be referring to the same problems, but they're using a different、uh, discursive framework, a different syntax to, to, to like describe all that. So,、um, as someone who can speak both languages and I can translate that, I, I'm trying to do my little drop of you know water in the ocean of change, but、um, it gives me meaning to do. I I can't think of anything more meaningful、um, personally and. It wouldn't、um, if I wasn't seeing it have a positive effect on other people. It would, I would reevaluate what I'm doing.、Mm-hmm. So <laughs> beautiful. And as you're speaking,、uh, you're bringing me to a place of your your very astute of being rational, objective, discerning, and you encourage others to be, as I've observed in your great work.、Uh, Explain, you know, when you're talking about the lower self projecting itself out, you know, and this is where some of that darkness comes. You know, we attract the, the inner suffering. We kind of、uh, puke it out on other people. I call it the poison pen. Sometimes that we send to another. But then, the opportunity that we have when we bring in objective, rational awareness to help us bridge into our highest states awareness. If you can share your relationship to those words, I would. Uh, really enjoy hearing about. Yeah.、That. Okay. Wow. That's a great question. Wow. You're very good at this.、Um, you know.、Uh, look. One.、Um, what, what I want to frame it like. One of the reasons that I'm doing this is the things that are happening in politics and the tremendous repression and censorship, the struggles and the reality that people are going to be confronting. They have been confronting. People have been. Evicted from their homes, 2007, 2008, the too big to fails, the housing market crash. People who are still semi-nomadic, nomadic, and homeless, 
from that. And it's a sickness in our society. You are listening to Be Simply. This is Suzanne Toro, a.k.a. She. You can anticipate being inspired, discovering some inner and outer wisdom and inspiration. Without further ado, let's dive into Be Simply. And it's a sickness in our society. Now, we can't even talk about overcoming the left-right divide um, in political speech. But if we can prepare people spiritually in their heart, then everything else is going to fall into place. So I consider this the most important work um, because when people can begin to fight their lower self, there's, I think that people with a warrior ethic can resonate with this the most. And I know that people, some people are conflict averse and they might want to use a different terminology, which I'm perfectly fine with, you know, you might want to say to transcend the lower self, <laughs> you know, no uh, slaying. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm saying that there's a war inside of us, you know, and, you know, um, I'm, I'm calling on people to engage in that war and that if they can just in the act of that battle, just by going into it, there is already victory in the act, you know, in the bravery of work against the lower self. So if there was, and I want to try to like define that lower self, like, uh, you know, in, in direct answer to your question, but I also want to say like, if I can, um, that the, a lot of the advice I've seen out there might sound like it's advice like if like if i didn't have something con to contribute that i thought was unique or had to be said um then i would just say go read this book or listen to this person you know right which doesn't mean people shouldn't read all kinds of books and listen to all kinds of people but i i'm, I'm trying to contribute something like an angle here and what that is is like a lot of the stuff that has happened in um post post-organized religion spirituality or post post-religious spirituality like post 1960 spirituality there's a lot of higher self glorification in in christianity they call it like prosperity gospel you have like that olson guy and uh, these or uh you know roberts or whoever these people were they would get on tbn uh you know in the mega crystal cathedral and then it would be like pray for you know pray for money yeah. And there's a lot of this success. I'm not saying people don't need money in life to do things, but there's a lot of success worship, you know, um, in post-religious new age spirituality and or the idea that um, that you're becoming enlightened and that enlightenment is like a, a, a rising of of um, of yourself over others, right. <laughs> you know, so now it's actually elitism. There's yeah. like actually elitism disguised as enlightenment. But I would say that like when you look at the Buddha and what he was doing prior to enlightenment was extreme ascetism, uh, extreme stoicism. Um, but it wasn't one that was also maintainable for a person to live a life, have children. Okay. And that's where he got the, the, uh, the middle path, you know, but it was that extreme ascetism. So I would say that that extreme ascetism awakens 
the uh, higher self and that the higher self, it, it works a lot like the Nile, like the upper Nile is the lower Nile and the lower Nile is the upper yeah. Nile. Yeah. So if you're feeling very like high, like very like mighty and, and uh, yes, I'm enlightened and stuff like that's like at that moment, like uh, where you decide that you're invincible and you like uh, cover yourself in kerosene and light the match because you're going <laughs> to live forever. And then you end up burning to death, like in the ninth gate. And, uh, you know, it's actually closest to the ground, you know, the, the so that's that's the that's the work the work of of the higher self is the higher self is the one that's the most humble is the closest to the ground it's the one that's that surrenders to the universe doesn't try to you know not to be god there's there it, i can i understand the concept especially like in the uh, zohar and the kabbalah tradition of sparks but it's 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 i think i mean i would just i have an opinion right yeah. I think it's misunderstood and misread that this is that the spark of the divinity and why I'm in a Christological framework right. is because the God that the God that was given to us to be most approachable was one who sacrificed himself and who put himself there, you know, next to the thief, who put himself next to the pauper, who was the lo you know lowest of the ground? Who said that the meek shall inherit the earth, and that a, a wealthy person has uh, as a good a chance of going to heaven as finding a, a, a needle in a haystack or to pass a uh, you know what is it a, a needle through the eye of a camel or something like that? Yeah, pass a camel through the eye of a needle. Yeah. and uh, and it, it's it's uh, these are the things that I, I can see that in my own work that has led to certain actually uh, theophany um, where I believe I have seen uh, evidence of God, um, a small miracle that happened on several epiphany nights. Um, it, it was not this person that you see before you with like any amount of confidence or um, self-assuredness in what he's saying. That's not that person. Like the person that, uh, that you're seeing before you right now is my lower self. Okay, I want to always be clear that most people, when they approach another person, and especially in conversations, it's it is our lower self. Now, are we trying to let that higher self kind of leach through, you know, to kind of seep through? But the the um, the lower self is has far too much humility to say anything with certainty. Mm. The, the lower self has far too much humility to think it knows anything about anything, and. Mm. You know, it's 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 a point of a place and time and space in the universe where you realize that you have completely surrendered yourself to the mystery of the grand eminence of creation. And in that moment of surrender and in that moment of humility, when you're closest to the ground and you feel like you're a child before God, like like a five year old or a three year old, just don't know anything. You know? Um, that is when it kind of can happen. And it's a very magical thing to be filled with it. And, and the realization is, um, it's very intense. And I want to share that with people. And I think it can be done. I think other people have written me and said, it's happened now that they followed this method. I don't, I'm not even sure what I'm seeing, but I, it could be like, it looks like a star that appears, but then it moves. Mm like something that flies or moves a little bit, but more than, it's not a shooting star. 
because it can move the other direction. And um, you're asking, you're asking for a sign as well. And it comes from a place of uh, gratuity and forgiveness and humility and smallness. <laughs> I know it sounds so weird to say, <laughs> but it's, just, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm not even saying I'm capable. I'm not even like that guy. Like I'm not even capable of that. You can ask my wife. I'm not that guy like 98.9% of the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just, I'm just an asshole like anyone else. And <laughs> I cut people off in traffic and I complain about some things that I shouldn't. And yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Probably people think I should be dead, you know? <laughs> so that's just, that's just who we are, but no. Well, so you touched on the word humility uh, and then the beginner's mind. Uh, how how do you retain that beginner's mind on a daily basis? You know, I think it's the, the daily basis is the struggle, but um, I would be a hypocrite to say like what what that is. I know what it looks like and I've done it, but it's people want to have a type of closeness to God and spirituality in their life at all times that requires such discipline of mind and sacrifice that it's like studying for your MCATs or something <laughs> like it, it, it's not something that you can just do for 30 minutes or an hour with like yoga and green tea in the morning or something right. like that. It's <laughs> like, it's like a constant thing and um, I'm not capable of it, you, you know, I, but I know that that is the standard. I know that that's what's required. If I could even do it for a day, I'd, I'd probably grow tremendously, you, you know, but it, it would be that constant in mind with, you know, you know, where you might have an interaction with somebody and you're coming from a complete place of humility and forgiveness. And you can't, you can't be offended, not because they're beneath you, but because you know that any faux pas or whatever they're doing is something that you're probably doing all the time. So it's, it's not because, not because it's beneath you to react, but because you might be worse than they are. And, um, you know, uh, and the fact that you're observing them doing it is a good sign that it's something that you're capable of. Maybe you've done it a lot in the past. Maybe you're still doing it now because we're all kind of like mirrors. Right. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, um, I feel like such an idiot saying this. I don't practice this very often at all. Like I'm a big, big head. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I, I know that that's I know that that's the standard. Oh, you know, I know okay. I you know, I, I know that that's the standard. But, you know, I I gotta cut myself. You're I gotta cut myself a little slack. But but um, the standard is is very high. But but look, I that's not the standard for. That's like the standard for like sainthood or something like that. You know, you know what I mean? That right. it's not the standard to have a meaningful life or a good life, but we're also in the apocalypse. So, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> maybe we got to get a little bit closer to that. <laughs> right. To stay clear. So with, with that, you know, protection, we touched on this a little bit um, because, you know, when you have to walk down a dark alley, we'll use that as a metaphor. Mm -hmm. late at night you're not going to just like uh, to your point uh put on your rose colored glasses and skip down the alley potentially um depending on your ability to sense um and be aware you may may or may not walk down the alley but 
pretty much we're we're having that experience on a daily basis, whether we go into a virtual world and try to have a conversation cross party lines, or we walk, you know, down the street, uh, especially these days with all the uh, impact of this um, global experience, I'll call it. Uh, how can how would you recommend someone uh, stay a little bit more aware and protect themselves um, during this apocalyptic time? Definitely have to stop any interaction with media, uh, you know, legacy media, corporate media. Um, but there are a lot, they have a lot of tentacles that appear like independent media. Yeah. And, or a lot of the people who are the big oligarch billionaire investors got behind certain media projects yeah. um, that might have had some wit or creativity, you know, Slate, Jezebel thing, you know, there, there was like some good op-eds in there. There was, there was some gems in there. There was some wisdom at times, at times, but overall there was an agenda in there. And what I like about the apocalypse is that it takes us to a, a rooted place of, of raw reality. And a lot of the things that men took for granted about society um, or that women took for granted about society are no longer there to take for granted. And then we realize how much we need each other. We, we kind of got too much into careers or into thinking that society is going to evolve and then our lives will improve as society evolves. Right. And now the kind of like the onus has been passed back over to us and it's liberating because you do have the power and it isn't about society fixing something. It's about what you can fix and you might not fix everything, but you're going to survive. You see what I mean? You're going to have children who are going to survive. Maybe it's going to be in a different country, deep in the mountains, far away from people. Maybe it'll be an intentional community. We just don't know, but yeah. people have to be looking. There are many places in the world where it's possible to survive. And the things that are happening inside the United States are not happening as severely in other places. Yeah. They're happening worse in places that speak English, like Australia, New Zealand, England, Canada. Yeah. I'd rather be in the US than those places. Yeah. But there are, but the world is such a big place, you know? Yeah. And absolutely. there is a there is a strength to masculinity that society has been trying to mute. And there is a power and a wisdom and strength and femininity that society has been trying to substitute for masculinity, like yeah. trying to trying to get each gender to emulate the other more right. and play like a role reversal, yeah. um, which is completely suitable and completely justified for a percentage of the population in the single digits somewhere right. when it's natural. And those people have felt that way since they were two years old. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. All this, the difference of people in the world is beautiful. Um, but when it becomes a, an agenda, when it becomes like social policy, yeah. that same society that's saying other crazy things like what you put in here or yeah. where you can be or what you have to put on your face, yeah. and it's coming from the same people, then you go, oh, then the light really comes on. And I think that's what this awakening is, has been about. And um, I'm very optimistic about the end of the world. <laughs> Woohoo, me too. Uh, <laughs> it's 
very exciting. <laughs> I kind of feel like we're in a weird sci-fi that we just don't know it which totally way is. to go. But I, I've oh, seen yeah. the sunrise. I know humanity's going to win. Uh, I don't know completely how it's going to all look, but I, I, I pray for humanity every day. The suppressed masculine, uh, you know, it, I always encourage people to go out in nature to see what our ecosystem mirrors to us. Because you go out in nature, there's no news outlets. Uh, there's no of the seven deadly sins, really, except for food chain, you know, supply. Uh, <laughs> other than mm -hmm. that, there's no neuroses. Uh, there's no, there's not an over plethora of rabid animals running around. Uh, right. So in my studies with many different indigenous cultures, I, there's some uh, interesting thing that exists and definitely would not be politically accepted this day and age is the masculine and the feminine. Uh, mm -hmm. The, the uh, biological feminine and the biological embodiment of the masculine. Mm -hmm. uh, from your perspective, being that you've, you've shared on some of your media how you know you appear to be a man's man uh and would definitely be maybe the warrior on the front of the line from my observation i mean you are but i mean literal warrior on the front of the line how do you feel that you could share with the men listening how they could step up into more of a true uh reflection of nature as a masculine embodiment and then welcoming the feminine uh, to stand up in her femininity and her wisdom uh, so that there can be a, a more balanced dance between the two. Mm, yeah, it's, um, we've, the, the, the dance that we've been handed lately is where we put each other's clothes on. And, um, you know, it's, both of us feel awkward because of that. It's, it's just, it feels awkward and, and we're off balance. So we're like on our, what do they say, on our back foot and uh, off balance. And being um, off balance like that, when, when a person is not grounded, they're constantly looking to the prescribed authorities on what's the correct behavior. It's like, you know, when you've traveled to a very different country, very exotic place, and you maybe have a friend who's from there, like, oh, forgive me, you know, how am I supposed to say this? Or when I walk in, do I take my shoes off? Or, you know, before we eat, we do, you know, what's the thing? Did I, you know, did I offend them, you know? So what, and that's okay when you're a foreigner. So what they've done with sex and sexuality in your own land, in the place that you were born, is they've made you a sexual foreigner in your own, in your own place, in your own home. So you're like, oh, did I, you know, oh, did I offend this person? And, you know, to set up, to set up the answer, like on the question is like, you can look at like the workplace, you know, and when you think about colleagues and you think about who's a perfect match you're looking for someone out there it's often going to be someone in your profession someone who is has the same passion who works in the same place and it's interesting that they cut that off and they they made it a weird thing we're talking about peers we're not talking about situations where there's a incentive hiring or promotion possibility connected to favors or we're talking about among equals yeah. so there's a common pattern. I want men to like see this, that in the same way that the what elites are doing and you're calling to be a man is to see this. What elites are doing is they're gaslighting you and they're making they're turning their own crimes 
whether it was sexual harassment in the workplace, um, whether it was destroying families, and they're putting that blame onto people who were blameless. Um, and they've made it impossible to, to participate and feel good about being in that society. Um, and I think that if you actually were to poll men and, you know, the guys I know all my life, and I've basically done this polling, right? Is where, you know, um, and they're not afraid of offending me as a woman because I'm not. So I, I, I hear the real story and there's not a guy out there who, who, who doesn't think his sister is smart. If she's smart, who doesn't respect his, his mom for her wisdom and her concerns and all these things. And the narrative that, um, men inherently hate women or disrespect them or think them lower is an invented, completely invented thing. I mean, there's gotta be some percentage of men who embody that, but to like place that on the whole gender on a chromosomal basis is like very, very sick. That thing that's happened in society. So men, uh, in their interactions with women, there's a thing that isn't being said. It's a secret. You are listening to Be Simply. This is Suzanne Toro, a.k.a. She. You can anticipate being inspired, discovering some inner and outer wisdom and inspiration. Without further ado, let's dive into Be Simply. There's a thing that isn't being said. It's a secret. God, this is worth so much money, but I'm just going to give it away. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's your generosity yes. for today. Yeah, this is my generosity. I'm such a fucking idiot. I, I got to monetize this somehow. No, um, guys, would you just do this? Um, just, just tell the woman what you really think about anything. Just tell her what you really think. And if she doesn't like what you have to say, she might like you for saying the thing that she said, even if she disagrees with you. Oh. Respect women enough to know that she can disagree with you about something and respect you as a person, that she's not a piece of glass that's gonna break if you offend her. And say the thing that you think about society, about some issue, about some friend you have, about an idea that she had, challenge her on her ideas, or allow you to allow her to challenge you without thinking that you have to agree or disagree because you're a, a sexual foreigner in your own land. Right. You know, <laughs> what people appreciate is the authenticity and women can smell it on you when you're lying. They can smell it on you yeah. when you're being inauthentic, or when you're being politically correct. That's so unattractive because it means that you're scared. And in the apocalypse, women want men who stand up. Women want men who can say no. Uh, and being able to say no, the proof that you can say no is if you can say no to them. Yeah. And if you can't say no to them, then you probably can't say no to other people which means that you're a pushover. So you fail the shit test. And, uh, you know, I, I respect women who give men a hard time. They got to continue doing that. Don't change. Um, because men who can pass that test, you know, might be the right guy. Yeah. So there's, you know, people shouldn't be treating each other with these kid gloves. No, that's not the same thing as disrespect. Right. You know, but to really challenge, you know, engage you know it's 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 almost like the anti-sexism of this day is so completely sexist because it's this idea that women can't defend their ideas or don't know how to articulate things and don't have uh, ability to be 
even disagreed with yeah. and still exist and be like, yeah, I'll, you know, like it almost places the opinion of men far higher than it was a hundred years ago because it's placing, it's giving men all this power to determine if women are upset, if they're happy. And I think women know that if they place that power in men like completely, then they're miserable. Right. So, you know, um, I'm actually a bigger feminist than, than the people who call themselves that if you, if you really break it down, but, uh, but the, but the masculine energy is, is, is very attractive to women and look, there are women who are not attractive to, and they're just not for you. And right. they're likewise with, with women, you know, when you're looking for someone, it's don't be afraid to be authentic. And there's enough men that you, you're, if you change, like, or pretend to be someone that you're not, you're going to be the one who's miserable. And in the apocalypse, because you're going to have to be figuring out how to build things like homes and weapons yeah. um you're going to be homesteading uh so it doesn't matter what you know carrie said in uh in sex in the city those <laughs> things aren't the things that matter anymore you know yeah. they just they just don't and guys um there's not going to be much more banter the way it used to be that's what i love about the apocalypse i'm telling you the apocalypse okay. is, a, is a wonderful opportunity you know, to live the lives that we should have been living all along, you know? Right. And, and how would you encourage, you know, uh, the younger generations, you know, teenagers, early twenties, uh, maybe even late twenties that have grown up on these devices that don't even, uh, have created, uh, avatars, as you mentioned earlier, <laughs> and aren't even being that word authentic. How would you encourage them to, uh, really come into their human self? so that they can start relating to one another uh, just really in the raw? Oh, that's a very good question. And um, I, I, I actually think that this is gonna be strange. I, I'm probably gonna get uh, deaded from every last account that I have for saying this, but um, <laughs> there's like, you gotta stop drinking water out of plastic bottles and uh, and your, your uh, Serum testosterone levels should probably be somewhere around a thousand or twelve hundred, and uh, and you, you just have to guesstimate what that is. But if you if you're not filled with that joie de vivre, if you're not out there like fully engaged in the world, if you don't like if you're like 25 years old, if you're not disciplined, you know women should be on your mind all the time, and then the, the fight should be that you're trying to divert or. Uh, to control that sexual energy and then, you know, and put it into creative or, or disciplined energy, whether it's like your art, you know, your music, your, your, your study, chemistry, medicine, law, you know, whatever it is, but that's how it works. That's how, how it used to, it used to be, you know, in the, in the yeah. past, but what they've done, I think needs intentionally have lowered our hormonal profile. Yeah. And, um, and so we're feeling very empty. We think that it's, chemical like dopamine serotonin things like that which it is but it but it actually it's the hormone levels that then produce those things the neurochemicals right. so it's actually coming down to you know our our guts you know it's coming down and below yeah. and you know that with that what's going on there yeah. um intuition and uh our hormonal profile we have to raise the profile we have to get you know um 
And in the past, like you can, what I would say to young people is look at your grandparents' high school yearbook, like when they were 17 years old. Did you notice that they look like adults and you look like you're 12? That's because <laughs> of the hormonal profile. Like that's because they, yeah. you know, people are actually not getting enough. You know, women are not, are not, their estrogen and testosterone profiles are very low in women and, and they're very low in men. What people don't understand is that men and women have both. And right. the body always um, seeks homeostasis. So when men increase their testosterone level, their estrogen level also increases. So all of those important qualities that estrogen has, that you know, women have a higher profile, right. but that you know, for, for men to be in touch with themselves and to understand women better, need to actually have a higher testosterone level, right? right? Because then they have that groundedness and confidence, masculinity, strength, focus, discipline, but then their estrogen level also increases, which means that their intuition, their wisdom, their feeling, their connection, those things also increase, right? Yeah. So, and likewise with women, when women raise their estrogen level, their testosterone levels raise in proportion. It's, it's called homeostasis once again. Yeah. So, and that testosterone is going to give them that confidence, that yeah. uprightness, you know, that, that determination, that clear headedness, no more brain fog. Yeah. Um, that's testosterone. So, you know, um, and I know that sounds crazy. Like what advice to young people? I would say get the hormones, you know, yeah. up and it, right. it's, you can't say, oh, well, a hundred years ago, people didn't have to do things intentionally. It's like, yeah, but they weren't drinking out of plastic bottles and right. they weren't, it wasn't all of these, um, you know, uh, waves, GMOs and things from cell phones that interact, that interfere with the body, you know, and so as a consequence, we actually have to lift weights. We actually have to like, yeah, stretching is great. Pilates yoga. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But you actually have to lift weights yeah. and people who are lifting weights are doing magical things with their life. They're waking up motivated. Their sex lives are improved. Their confidence is improved at any age. Yeah. There's been a lot of studies that um, the body's ability to develop and, and build muscle is not relative to age it's relative to your hormonal profile mm. and you can raise that at different times in life you know and yeah. later in life and then you feel you know like when you like loud music and you're driving and you're like yeah go that's hormones it's not oh, i'm in a good mood i'm in a bad mood you know if music starts sounding too loud to you yeah you know oh and it shouldn't like if you're 25 and you're like oh you know something's wrong you know yeah. So that's what I would say to, you know, young Beautiful. people, the rest is going to come, the rest is going to come. But I mean, our bodies are under attack, Yeah, you know? Absolutely. So. Yeah. And, and to your point um, about, you know, if we all were, were nomads right now and living in the more in the forest, uh, you know, we don't actually age. You don't find a bear in the woods looking like an old man. He, that, you know, you, you can tell they're, they're mature from the baby cubs or whatever, but uh you know that this is again another psyop that we've imposed and the direct attacks mm -hmm. through digital warfare through uh the things that are flying around the sky but i i think mother earth and the humans are stronger and the divine is stronger than any of mm -hmm. these uh psyops that are being played out on us when you were talking about the nomads and and uh bears and nature you know it's um it made me it made me think a lot about the present crisis 
that we're in. And I, it's people are going to have to make a choice. I can't be political, but people have to make a choice whether we, we're entering into an age of a new eugenics. Okay. So um, the economy is not based much more on human labor. So now it's elites deciding what's what size population of the planet they want to have and then figuring out how to get rid of the rest of that. Seemed like there was an idea about eugenics in the past, which I was opposed to, am opposed to, but the idea was to find the traits of people that make humanity stronger, wiser, and breed for those traits, okay? And, um, but that's going to happen in the apocalypse anyway, I think, I think, I think, but what's weird about the new, the new version of eugenics is that it seems that they're trying to downbreed the human race, or they're trying to lower the vibrational wavelength. They're trying to lower the cognitive ability, the physical, the longevity, the health of the specimen. It's very strange. The organism is the problem. You know, the old eugenics model was seemed to be about improving, but you know, that's very limited to what that paradigm thought was an improvement. Right. You can really get an evolutionary dead end if you decide, oh, this is the ideal person. Let's breed for this. Right. Because in the different ages that unfold in the future that we don't know exactly what's called for, we might, there might be things, qualities of people that we didn't think was important to the industrial age a hundred years ago right. when some of these ideas were in vogue. And then we would be at a different type of dead end. But the new eugenics, on the other hand, of, you know, the Microsoft guy, um, this seems to be about making people more more stupid yeah um about lowering the, the increasing the population of relative population of and while trying to reduce the overall human population the only thing that these two eugenics might have had in common is that the overall population might have ended up lower but for very different reasons or one was focused on quality and the new one is focused on quantity with a lower number being better. Mm. And I'm really concerned about, so when you talked about nature, um, a lot of what we see in aging is a product of the structure of our society. The one that we're leaving now, fortunately, but it could get worse or it could get better, but that's up to what we do. But the one that we're leaving, you had elderly people who were cut out of the decision-making process of the family. And it was what conservatives have called the nuclear family was actually just a very short moment in time in middle modernity. It's like a mid-century modern ideal right. of the nuclear family. But when you look at the past from 150 years ago back 10,000 years, 
you have the extended family and the multi-generational family. Right. So you have multiple cousins that are close like brothers and sisters. And then you have grandparents that might be in the same house or like an attached dwelling that's maybe a doorstep away or something, common yard. And they say like it takes a village, right? But you really, in many ways, the village is like the family as well. It's this extended family. And the elders in the family didn't cognitively age. Yeah. And they were more and they were more upright because of the diet, because without the toxic the metals, you know, in the brain, the mercury. So Alzheimer's is a new thing. Yeah. And uh, osteoporosis is a new thing. Yeah. Um, muscular de degeneration, the way that we see it is a new thing. It's very normal for older people to be less robust, but it's not normal. I was reading, I'm a student of history, and all the time you read about these people 500, 1,000 years ago, lived to be 80 years old, 90 years old. We're not living longer. Right. When people realize that it's the same people telling you about what things you put in your arm and what things make you healthy, are the same people in control of the statistical tables and the history, the almanac and the longevity tables in the past. Right. I have no reason to believe that we're living longer. I think we're even living maybe 15 years shorter. Absolutely. And um, so these are the, you know, you well, know. You know, it's interesting you bring this topic towards kind of the tail end of our time together because, uh, you know, I kind of laugh when you let a society be run by psychopaths and sociopaths mm -hmm. because they don't have the ability to empathize or love or care. Mm -hmm. And so the infrastructure of this planetary system is an agricultural system. And it's the indigenous people of this planet understood that. And that's why they understood very advanced things from, you know, astronomy to how uh, to work with the land and how to commune with the divine, uh, no matter what language you put in. And it's not a, you know, a, a, like a lighthearted thing, like you just go to church for an hour on Sunday or you put a little seeds out on the pot on your deck. I mean, it's a full engagement on a lifestyle. You are uh, in a sacred place. And then if you look at some of what I would call the Eastern traditions, you know, there's this infinity model, you know, in Catholicism or Christianity, I always tell my uh, clients, no matter what your faith is, you're either going to get to your kingdom in heaven in one life, good job. <laughs> or if you're, you know, of an Eastern faith position, you understand that it may take you more than one lifetime and that's okay too. So I don't know from someone manipulating populations how well that little experiment's gonna go for them because we are eternal beings. And just because they decide to eliminate or to dumb everyone down or smarten them up, uh, there's something much greater than them going on here. Uh, if you can share how your faith helps you ride through these moments where we do have to recognize what's happening, we can't just turn an ear and have quote unquote blind faith, but we can have an engagement with faith, our faith, to assist us in guiding and listening to where to put our attention and where to focus. <laughs> the thing that I am able to do, yeah, the thing I'm able to do in my daily life that I can, you know, that I do, that I do see work. I remind myself that I came from a place of science. I'm very scientifically oriented, and my my religion 
is not based is not based in faith. It's based in things that I figured out and asked to be shown to me. And then the faith is the faith that the thing that was shown to me is the thing that I understood it to be in the moment. Because rational minded people like myself, as time goes by, you're like, maybe I ate something funny. Maybe <laughs> I'm remembering it wrong. You know, no, it was fresh in the moment. And the, you know, the eyewitness testimony of the thing that happened in the moment, you know, criminologically is the best testimony, you know, is when it happened. So I, I remind myself that the universe, uh, the mainstream, the mainstream of, of theoretical physicists, are emerging that the universe was intentionally constructed. They call it holographic or they call it simulated. They call it, you know, like it's computer generated because they still have to use that terminology. They're, they're not allowed to say things using the dictionary from 10,000 years ago. They can't look at Sumerian or Babylonian or Egyptian. Right. You know, they have to look, they have to say it's holographic, computer generated. Okay. But what we but what we know from that is that it has programmer. So what they're not saying that it programmed itself. They are saying that maybe there was some original universe, which reminds me a lot of the early Christian tradition of different heavens. You know, maybe one was auto-generated, you know, self-generated, naturalistically derived. But then all the other emanations are intentional creations and so that this universe that this is like at least the consensus view that's emerging is that this universe was intentionally created that means there are no mistakes i mean it is sentient and self-aware and you are part of the experience of that awareness uh, some christians believe you know god is all-knowing god is all-seeing yeah because he can think through your mind and he sees through your eyes he sees through everyone's eyes and that Every, every living creature, he can see through those eyes, he hears through those ears, and he can experience, he experiences all things at all times. You know, you can only see from your two eyes at one time. It's hard to, you can't, your brain wouldn't function if you had four different sets of eyes, you know. The universe that we know of, say there's nine billion people, is seeing through those nine billion sets of eyes at one time. You're one of them. So... There are no there are no accidents there are no mistakes everything that you're doing and thinking is not a secret so have no shame think the right thoughts and uh do the right things and everything will work out for you even if you die tomorrow <laughs> everything will work out for you uh -huh. Uh -huh. well said so uh, we could talk for hours, <laughs> but we'll bookend it here. Uh, I'm going to ask you to lead out on uh, how you can encourage people to love uh, fully in this moment. To love in this moment is to be your authentic self. And what you want to do is get out of the fear paradigm that is being imposed, it's a psychological operation. It's a fear of death, primarily, that we latch onto things as forms of attachment. Once you can overcome the fear of death, knowing that you're an eternal being on a mission, everything becomes beautiful and clear. And you know that your consciousness and your soul continues on. That's why this universe was created in such a way. And you are a light worker and a warrior of light here to do things and you have a purpose and everyone in your life needs you to do those things and love comes from that intention 
to be that person that you were put here to be. Mm. Well said. Mm. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for be, being here. We'll have you back if you'll come back. Once again, I want to thank Joaquin Flores and all of you that have been listening in for being here in this moment. And as inspired, connect to Joaquin's work below. The link to his Love in the Apocalypse show is below. And until next time, this is she signing out with a full heart, a soft gaze, a deep bow, and a namaste. Be simply.